This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Livesey is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right, so I'm sitting here and I'm talking to Keith Naylor, and some of you may know him as Spike Bull Outdoors on Instagram, and him and I have kind of been friends on social media for a while, and I've been following him and just kind of wanted to get him on and talk to him about his hunting lifestyle, because it's kind of neat, uh, and all the opportunities that he does or does not get. So, Keith, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, absolutely, Luke. I appreciate you having me on. Um like you said, I'm Keith Naylor. I spike a little outdoors on Instagram. I grew up uh, hunting and fishing in the West. I've spent a little bit of uh, time living back in New England and then moved back out West. So, um, yeah, I love the premise of your show, this publicly challenged, because certainly as <laughs> as a Western outdoorsman, we, we tend to mostly hunt public lands and, and all the trials and tribulations that come with it. Most of them are self-inflicted wounds, I think, but... Yeah, I'm excited to have be on. So thanks for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I just kind of, I mean, I just want to talk to you. And I, there's some things that I've learned about you over the years, and um, kind of wanted to get to know more about it. And uh, so, 
your name let's let's start with that like spike bull outdoors i know you are the mighty spike bull hunter and you're killing uh what is it tomorrow's trophies today <laughs> yeah right right harvest them before somebody else can <laughs> so i mean um let's kind of talk about how that came into fruition and, and why that is and and um you know why why you're doing this the spike bull thing versus uh trying to go after you know deer or a bull every year <laughs> Hey, 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 spikes are bulls too, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and meant, I meant a count, big but... herd bull or whatever. But <laughs> Yeah. So I moved to Utah about a, a decade ago now. Um, and the state of Utah in terms of, obviously, there's limited entry hunts and, and, and general hunts. Utah is, you know, one of the few rare states that offers a, a an over-the-counter hunt. Um, and me being just, just a... a poor husband and father. Um, you, you know, I, sure I put in for the points, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to draw a limited entry tag before I die. Let's be honest at this rate, it's horrible. Um, <laughs> so I just pick up a, an over the counter tag every year. Um, and where I live, uh, I live close to a any bull unit and I live close to a spike bull unit. And so biology wise in Utah, what that looks like is our any bull units typically have, smaller elk herd population numbers and larger amounts of private land. So it's a, it's a tough hunt. And, and there's a lot of guys out there vying for those, for that kind of that diamond in the rough on these any bull units, or you can go to a spike bull unit where there's, where the elk numbers are greater and the, the amount of public land is, is greater. So like I said, where I live, it's kind of split in half. I could, if I take a right, I go to an any bull unit. If I take a left, I go to a spike only unit. Um, I just have always liked the left side of the highway better. So <laughs> I, 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 I picked up a spike unit after I moved here or a spike tag after I moved here and got lucky. And, and now it's just my thing. Every year I grab that spike tag and I head up and, and I've had a lot of success. You know, like I said, I've lived here for decades. So that means, um, resident hunting wise, I've been hunting for nine years and I, I think my record is, yeah, yeah, I'm eight for nine. So there was one year where I was sick as a dog and didn't get to tag out, but honestly, and I mean, I get it. We're just shooting spike elk, but in terms of elk hunting, I still think that's a pretty good record. I think it, I think it is. I absolutely think it is. Um, so and, how, how does the spike, is it like a, for residents only over the counter or is it anybody can yeah. buy an over the counter tag or how does that work? Yeah, it is. It's resident and non-resident. Um, I see plenty of, uh, California and Nevada tags out there on the road while I'm hunting. Um, so yeah, it's really open to anyone and, uh, gosh, Utah's proposing doing some even goofier things in 2021 that I think we're all hoping they don't do, but you can offer all the input you want, but what's so another casting? Boat. What what are they implementing that they're going to try and change? Well, on these any bull units, like I was talking about, where it's already just a ton of hunting pressure in it, and they're hard hunts. I actually, from time to time, I'll help friends out who who draw or who pick up one of these um, any bull tags and go and hunt. But man, I just I curse them. They're just so tough in terms of elk numbers and the amount of land that you can hunt if you don't have private land access. Um, so that's a tough one to begin with. The state offers has historically offered fifteen thousand tags. So that's a lot. And now they're going to open it up. So now they want to open it up for the any bull units and make them unlimited. So just 
so it'll be like a colorado basically yeah or or how they did it for a while anyway but yeah yeah as many as they can sell on units that are already that i guess in my opinion my my uneducated non-biological opinion are just are already struggling i mean and you see it every year you'll see guys that pull some good bulls off of these any bull units and these over-the-counter tags, you know, and for, in my mind, nothing to be ashamed of at all. But I, I guarantee you they have to hunt pretty hard and have to do a ton of scouting and, and really put some boots on the ground in order to get it done. So uh, do, do you think it's like a revenue thing then to, for the state to try and just make more money off the tags or is it, uh, or they think they actually think that the population is uh, so great that they can do that? Oh gosh, I hate to I hate to spread more <laughs> let's, conspiracy let's theory in 2020 or in 2020. Um, uh, I think that's everybody's knee jerk reaction is yeah, it just seems like a money grab, or it's a let's just decimate the herds a little bit and see what happens kind of thing. Um, I'll say that I struggle to understand it. Yeah, I struggle to understand. That's it. that's kind of like me uh, with with the whitetail, and uh, they they claim it's and and maybe it truly is in the name of CWD, but they were culling areas around me that hadn't even had that many or any confirmed cases at the time, and they're mm-hmm. buying up all this farm ground with state money, and turning it into culling sites. And I remember, you know, in the ten years previous to that that they were doing that, that you could literally drive by in the evening and you could see 30, 40, 50 deer in those fields and somebody always hit one with a car in that area. I mean, it was just like you knew weekly somebody was going to hit a deer there. Yeah. And um, those seemed to be the areas that they were concentrating on. And now there's an area that they finally opened up after it was a culling site for like four or five years. And they opened up a calling site directly next to it. And they actually, they leased the property through uh, some type of farm grant. Um, and, and they turned it into a hunting area. But with that being said, only one deer was harvested there last year. Yeah. I, I mean, so that kind of tells yeah. you something. It, it, it's a smaller unit. So, so there's, um, you know, I think it's only like seven hunters at a time or something. But every time I've gone past that parking lot, that that parking lot's full of hunters so you can't Mm -hmm. tell me that people aren't hunting it you know i mean you think a blind squirrel finds a nut more than once (laughs) so (laughs) it's one of those things it just just seems to me that um they've decimated that herd to the point to where now now it's now now you could say it's in the name of cwd and i'm not saying it's not but it seems Mm -hmm. a little excessive to do that as well so i kind of get where you're coming from as far as that 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 aspect of it goes for sure but uh, but I'll also give uh, give credit where credit's due. I, I know that the the state employs some great uh, wildlife biologists, um, and so uh, there could be some other factors that that <laughs> I and trust me, that doesn't take much for me to say I don't know about in terms of um, maybe there's not enough feed. Maybe they're struggling on the winter range. Um, I can tell you right now, 2020 has been a dry, dry year. Um, so I think there's a I think there's a lot of environmental factors out there too that might be lending itself to this, um, but I think us as sportsmen, uh, we get <laughs> we get so sick of people in our honey holes, right? And we get we get so sick of watching the road hunters from the top of the mountain um, and things like that, and we we just feel like there's already too many people in the woods, um, <laughs> and that and that. But what's funny is is I think we I think we spend 
the off season in this mentor mindset where we're like, man, we've got to get people into hunting and man, we got to, we got to pass it on and pass it down. And then hunting season rolls around and all we do is cuss how many people there are. Right. <laughs> it's so, the double-edged so, sword. Yeah, right. it's, it's... We, we kind of want our cake and eat it too. Like we want it's... to teach you to hunt, but we want you to hunt somewhere else, please. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like the whole public land thing within itself. I mean, that within itself is a double-edged sword as well. I mean, yeah. If you think about it, it's like, oh, well, you know, the, the land is supposed to be in the hands of the people, not the government in the first place, taxes, all that stuff. But it's like, it's already been established. It's here. So many people enjoy it. We need to just somehow preserve it, maintain it, properly manage it to where we can all get a piece of the pie and, and do that. So, I mean, but it's still, once again, one of those things, well, why are my tax dollars paying for it and I don't get to use it? Well, technically you can use it. You just got to get out there, you know? So I totally get it. I totally get it. And the same thing with, man, it sucks to see somebody else. I, I hang my head sometimes at a trailhead when I'm going and the guy takes off in the same direction as I'm going. And it's like, oh man, really? You could go anywhere. Where, why are you going? Oh, obviously he probably scouted just like I did and found some sign or something right. as well. But you know. Right. When you, when you pull up to the trailhead before dawn and you both sit there on Onyx or base map or whatever app you use and you compare the pins that you're heading towards, you know, it's just going to be a bad day right from the get go. <laughs> That's and see, I never actually do that. I never try and compare. I'm just like, well, you know, maybe maybe I'll get out there, you know, or if he's right behind me and I see he stops, that's fine because you know I'm gonna keep going. Or if he's right there with me, it's like, oh, I really made a mistake now. And you try and pull that audible and go a little further or deeper, you know, in the dark. And yep. most of the time, it yep. never works out. But <laughs> yeah, but and I think definitely. That's... And I think that's an aspect of hunting <laughs> that's almost evolving. It's not so much knowing what the animals are doing, or I guess that's what it is, knowing what the animals are doing so much as knowing what the animals are going to do because of the people. Absolutely. So, and I think, that, and I honestly, I attribute that to some of my quote unquote success, even though, you know, people will scoff at shooting a spike elk as not being <laughs> incredibly successful, um, is that, you know, I spend a lot of time up there and I know what the animals do when they get pressured. And, and so that's where I start. Yeah. And, and I don't have to be in the meadow on opening morning in the perfect spot set up because it's not going to play out like that. You know, <laughs> You're gonna <The> have... <laughs> opening, you know, opening morning here sounds like the opening volley at Valley Forge, man. I mean, it's just, it's Beirut, just gunfire going <laughs> off everywhere. And so, you know, that the elk are going to get in the saddles and in the dark timber and just start crossing as slowly as they can so that they can dodge the bullets. And so, you know, you spend the, you spend the time hiking in deep and, and getting into where the other people don't want to go. And every now and then, like you said, the squirrel finds them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that's, uh, I, I hunted my first public land, um, whitetail shotgun tag. We, we don't actually even have a rifle season here in Illinois, right. uh, cause of density. But, um, uh, so it was my first one ever that I drew on public land and I went, and I didn't even get to go on opening day. I went the second day and I could not believe the amount of gunshots nor people. I, I did not think that there would be that many people with a tag on that chunk of property. And I mm -hmm. asked the guy, I'm like, so I can go anywhere I want. Right. And he's like, yeah, it, we, we close all the rest of the hunting down during shotgun. So there was guys going all over the place and I'm hurrying up to get to my spot and I'm hiking way back in there. When I previously scouted, there was a lot of tree stands on the way in there. Not a single person <laughs> went back to where I went. So I was pretty impressed with that. But I heard 
it was probably, I don't know, within the first hour, 17 shots all around me. And I'm questioning yeah. it. I'm like, I've never shot twice at a deer. You know, I just, I, I've never shot twice at a deer <laughs> other than just to make sure it was down or, you know what I mean? And, and I've yep. heard, and there were some guys, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And then it's like the reload <laughs> and another yeah. boom. And you could tell it was the same exact area. There wasn't two people sitting next to each other shooting two deer. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't believe it, but I think it was like 17 total people. I heard shots in that area and I, cu I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is, yeah. this is the second day of this. How are these deer just not out of here? It was kind of crazy. You can almost triangulate the herd on opening morning or any given morning or evening in the hunts out here, just by where the shots are coming from. You can, you can hear them getting closer to you. So, you know, the herd is on its way. Yeah. You just got to hope there's something left to shoot at by the time it gets to you. Yeah, I didn't. A, we had a similar experience uh, this year where we heard eight shots in semi-auto semi fire secession, and it wasn't a 223. I don't know if it was an AR-10-308 or whatever the case may be, but I was like, I, I was a little surprised. <laughs> you know, I'm used to the bolt action, you know, right. boom, boom, you know, but this was boom, boom. Boom, boom. <laughs> I just looked at my brother. We just shook our heads like, they're getting serious this year, boy. So with that being said, can you buy, can like you yourself buy two spike bolt tags for the same unit or no? No. Um, you you can end up with more than one elk tag, but one's probably going to be antlerless. You can end up with a couple antlerless tags, I think, and then one bull tag, depending so, on how it all plays out. So that guy was really just making sure it was down then. <laughs> I don't. I and maybe it's a new tactic I haven't heard of. I, you know, I try and keep up on the trends and things like that. I just haven't heard of suppressing fire in, in elk hunting yet. But uh, maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's a thing. <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, I've been on plenty of deer drives and things like that. So maybe now it's just suppressing fire, and you just push the elk by gunshots the direction you need them to go. I don't know. Right. So. um did you do any uh, mule deer hunts this year? I did. Um, I had a, a muzzleloader deer tag, and I, for my love of hunting elk, and I don't hate mule deer. I'm just a, I'm a sucky mule deer hunter, and I don't know what it is. I just, uh, I always consider myself just a lucky hunter anyway. It just seems like I just walk up a mountain and, oh, hey, look, there's an elk. I think I'll shoot it now. But when it comes <laughs> to deer, man, I do not have that luck. Um and I've drawn several tags since I've lived here in Arizona. I actually, and I joke about this publicly on my on my Instagram, that I haven't killed a mule deer since the mid-90s. If you can, yeah. So it's just over was, the counter, huh? Yeah, since I was a kid in high school in Colorado is the last time I've killed a, a mule deer. Um, so then finally this year, I think I've had five or six tags, mule deer tags since I've moved to Utah. I finally, this year, finally punched a tag. And again, not a trophy, exactly what you would expect by somebody named Spike Bull Outdoors. Um, but yeah, you know, a fun little three-point mule deer. And again, it was one of those, I walked up the mountain, he's standing right there. I determined he met the criteria for the deer I wanted to shoot. And Neat. <laughs> it was over. Yeah. And I turned around and I looked at my truck and it was 75 yards away, you know. So That's perfect. That's perfect. It was, it was but yeah. So, I've, yes, I do hunt mule deer. I, I like mule deer. I just, for whatever it is, I don't have a mule deer brain. I could, I got elk all day long. I just 
<laughs> I just am not a great mule deer hunter. I don't know. I that's that's what's crazy is like when I was out in Colorado, I saw probably a thousand times more mule deer <laughs> than I did elk, and yeah. and it was just like it was opening morning first you know 10 minutes saw a mule deer bigger than any mule deer i'd ever seen in my life not even knowing you know what it would even score but just going my god that thing is massive and wide and tall and everything anybody would ever want out of one and and going holy crap i wish i had one of those tags until i realized learned later on that that it was definitely a tag that you would have to draw where I was at. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and when I was a kid, that's how Colorado was, as it was over the counter. So you know, we lived growing up where we lived. We lived kind of a subsistence lifestyle. So that meat was important. So, um, so yeah, I shot my first mule deer with an old bear compound bow in my front yard. But again, it was a four point because everything was a four point in Colorado back then, you know, deer were big and you didn't have to take a little one and, and they were everywhere it seemed like, but the game has definitely changed and will continue to change. Yeah, I'm sure. I think they already, was it last year they put in, uh, or 2020, I guess it was for Southern Colorado. The herd was kind of lower numbers where they had to actually do a draw set over the counter. Right. I think. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't, I don't keep up with Colorado anymore. I, I can barely keep my head on straight with utah so (laughs) So do you still hunt arizona then or no i i i tag along in arizona i've got family down there my brothers and stuff still live down there so if one of them has a hunt going on and i can get some time off work i'll go down there and tag along i've i've joined my brother on um some coos deer hunts and an antelope hunt and um so and that's where i moved up here to utah from was arizona so while i was down there my dad and i did a mule deer hunt and a javelina hunt and things like that but um arizona is a fun little state but i think the hunting there is is really tough as well that's one of the things eventually i'd like to get there in the whole january i always buy the tag every year or the license every year to buy either points or an elk try and apply for an elk tag so mm-hmm. one of these days i'd like to actually put that tag that license use and do the over the counter but it just seems like i always try and save my vacation because i've got limited amount of days to where it's like how can i spend that many right off the bat in january to go down there and chase something and i mean i'm sure it would be fun but at the same time i'm, I'm really burning up hunting points for later on in the year you know for yeah for all that stuff so you got to find a way to cook the books on terms of oh, vacation time. I, I get know it. it. I get it. <laughs> I get it. It's tough. You know, I I took almost three weeks back to back off this year. We had to go out to Virginia to see our, our little grandbaby that was born. Um, and then I took off on that trip to Alaska. And so, yeah, I came back to work and, and the boss was kind of like, uh, you're here for a while, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> message received <laughs> that's that's pretty much how everybody is at work they're like hey where the heck you been it's it's always november yeah. you know where yeah. the heck have you been i've yeah. been around well where <laughs> yeah i'm sure they're cussing me while i'm gone but not here i don't really back, so. <laughs> i don't really care <laughs> yeah oh, do I. as long as i'm living my life but speaking of you made a great segue into that let's let's talk about um your alaska trip kind of how did it come about because alaska is always always been on my bucket list of things to do and I've kind of come to the conclusion that I believe a caribou hunt may be the easiest logistically to try and plan out and Mm -hmm. and do all those things so Mm -hmm. I kind of just want to get your perspective on it and and how it all came about and 
really the details of the hunt, man. Yeah. Um, and I would agree with you. Um, but also like you, just Alaska has always been a dream and not just going up there to trophy hunt, but to, to live up there, you know, a, to be away from people, but B man, I could totally just hunt and trap and fish. And <laughs> I, I guess I could have to figure out how to do a little bit of farming on the side to have some vegetables every now and then, but yeah, totally a dream. So, um, through the power of social media, you, I get to bantering with this guy, um, talking about Alaska and stuff like that. And everybody's down in the dumps because of COVID. This is back in April. And he's like, man, why don't you, uh, why don't you come up here and just hunt with us? A gentleman out of uh, Fairbanks, um, just invited me to tag along on their annual trip, um, up the Dalton highway. So I started looking at it and, and again, uh, I do everything on a budget because every every dollar I put towards hunting is a dollar my family doesn't get right. So I'm really, really super conscious of that. Um, and I, he's, I'm like, no, you know, maybe in five years it'd be great. You know, it's in my five-year plan. I want to get up there in five years. And he's like, yeah, but airfare is so cheap right now. Like you really might want to think about this. It's, <laughs> you know, there's no float planes, no boats or anything involved. It's, it's we drive up and and, you know, hunt along the Dalton Highway. And I was like, eh, all right. So it got the wheel spinning and I started looking at tag prices and I'm like, okay, not impossible. But then I looked at airfare and the round trip airfare from Vegas to Fairbanks was less than 300 bucks at the time. And so now I'm like, I could almost pull this trip off for less than 1500 bucks. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And so I'm like, <laughs> I think I got to do this. And I was having, um, you know, uh, I was having a, a human experience and just kind of down in the dumps and, and was like, went to my wife and said, look, I got offered to go on this trip. I've kind of priced it out. This is about what I'm looking at. What are your thoughts? And, you know, she's awesome. She's like, do you think we can do it? I said, yeah, you know, going to have to put in a little extra hustle, but we can do it. She said, okay. So she said, okay, you know, but now, but now we've got COVID going on and I don't know, they had just canceled the spring bear hunts and everything. So nobody could even go to Alaska, non-resident. So we're putting, we're trying to put plans together, but nobody's got any idea of how it's all going to play out. And we have to wait until the hunt starts in August and we have to wait until July 1st until the new hunting regs come out to even see if this thing's going to be a green light. So I buy my airplane ticket because because of COVID, it's totally refundable regardless. So I'm like, okay, that's safe. So I buy the airline ticket. Now we're just waiting to see if the hunt comes together. July 1st rolls around and Alaska doesn't say anything about, about no non-residents. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy a tag. Are you guys sure it's cool if I come up? Yep, not a problem. So buy the tags and, and start putting plans together. Um, Things I did to to stay on budget where there were some items of gear I didn't have like a uh, like a decent sleeping bag and a well I've got a negative thirty five degree bag that weighs two hundred pounds because um, I'm a wuss like that um, <laughs> and a and a and a nice gun case for for flying with and stuff like that so I borrowed some gear um, and you know people were more than willing to help out and and yep um, so I did that to stay under budget. And, um, so yeah, I went 
And uh, so the whole experience was land in Fairbanks. They've got it all regimented out to this time we need to do this, this time we need to do that. We're driving this day. We'll hike in that night. So they had a really great plan put together. And again, they, you know, it's their annual trip anyway. So they're used to it and they're residents. So they get to hunt caribou like crazy and, and live that dream. Um, but I'm sorry, I'm going all no, over it's, the place. No, it's awesome. So, <laughs> so quick question, just I want to interject. Was it planned to be a rifle hunt or was it planned to be archery initially? It was, for me, it was always planned to be a rifle hunt because okay. I am not an archery hunter. It's something I'm just picking up this year. Um, so I think I had had a bow for a couple of months and obviously just didn't feel comfortable going in the field with it. So to hunt along the Dalton highway up there, and that's the road that runs the, you know, the ice hall or the ice road truckers road that runs from Prudhoe Bay all the way down to Fairbanks, um, to hunt along that corridor within five miles of the roadway is archery only because they don't want you poking a hole in their fancy pipeline. So you have to hike five miles and then your rifle hunt begins. So knowing I was coming out of state, the guys were great. They really made it an effort or they really put the focus on me to, to help me tag out. Um, so, uh, where was I going with that? They put a focus on you. (laughs) So they put a focus on you and, uh, and, and you guys hiked in. Yeah. So we landed in Fairbanks, got our stuff together. They went through my whole pack and laughed at all the crap that I overpacked trimmed me down and shaved some weight off for me. And then, so we packed up and we loaded the next day. It's like an eight hour drive to get to, to get over, um, Attigan pass and to get into the hunting, um, the area we were hunting. And, um, yeah, that was it. You, you just start walking and you don't start walking in. So you have this idea of what hunting in Alaska is going to be like. You expect a ton of moisture and everything's going to be wet and it's going to be cold and there's going to be a ton of bugs. You know, you have this idea in your mind, but you really don't know what you don't know. Right. So, you know, I'm asking a ton of questions, but there's really, I just, I can't get my head around what I'm about to experience. Um, but you know, the hike, <laughs> I'm doing a crappy job of telling the so, story. So, no, let's ask. Tonight. Um, so, so it was it cause I've got questions too, so it'll kind of help you with this, but so was it barren ground? I mean, and like very loamy, I picture it kind of being like a lichen mossy where you step on it and your foot kind of sinks in a little bit yeah. and, and just kind yeah. of real loamy soil. Is and that kind exact... of an accurate, um, description yep. of it? Yeah, it really is. The, so we started out just at the base of a, of an area called Adigan Pass. Um, and so it's it's really, it's that north slope of the Brooks Range that everybody knows and loves in Alaska. Um, so that was kind of mountainous and we were trying to chase mountain caribou in that area. But the area that we started out in just, there was just nothing, you know. Barren um, ground. <laughs> right, barren ground, but just no caribou. There was a ton of grizzly sign all over the place. So, of course, me as a flatlander was a little sketched out by that. But, but you know, I'm Alaska, so I'm in Alaska, so I totally expect it. Um, but there just was nothing there. So we jumped back in the truck and drove further down the Dalton out onto the official, like, this is tundra. Um, you know, we saw musk ox, we saw grizzly bear, you know, the full on you're in the tundra Alaska experience. Um, but yeah, that's exactly how the ground is like, like I did weighted pack 
hikes and and a ton of training in the gym to get ready for the trip because I didn't want to be the sucky guy on the trip that was whining and and dogging out of breath. So I felt like I was in pretty good shape. But yeah, that tundra is tough to walk on. It really (laughs) is. Your foot is never not articulating you know it's yeah. just it's constantly moving and flexing and every step you take yeah you're, you're sinking about six inches every time and it's mushy and your feet are constantly wet and it's tough it's tough i'm not gonna lie <laughs> and like, that's how i imagined it i really did like in my head that's how i imagined it and i don't know if it's just because i've you know looked into it so much or people i've talked yeah. to them they've, they've said the same thing but that's truly how i imagined it for some reason like like you said, I don't, I don't know how you would actually prepare for that other than just embrace the suck and go with it. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what it was. Like you, to look at it, it looks like just Kansas Plains, you know, just low rolling hills. And I'm like, oh, I've got this five miles, no problem. <laughs> About the first mile in, I'm like, you know, with a 40-pound pack on your back as you're carrying your whole campground on your bag and then your gun and everything else. The first mile in, I was like, I'm in for a little bit of a challenge. This is going to be good. (laughs) So it was good. You know, to be honest, mentally, I needed that. I needed that challenge and I needed, uh, I needed that adventure. And for what was going on in my life at the time, it was perfect. I needed that struggle. Um, But then, so we get to the next spot that we want to hunt. We walk out the five miles and bam, you know, just like my stupid spike hunting adventures, I walk up the mountain there's an elk. I walk five miles across the tundra. We get to this little lake and bam, there's a really there's a herd, huh? caribou. <laughs> no, it wasn't even a herd. It was just a bull. <laughs> it was just a bull and it was a good bull. So I was like, I'm just going to shoot that one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're here. Yeah. We're done. So yeah, that was it. We, and it, it was funny that caribou, you know, they don't act like elk. They don't act like mule deer, and they're funny. Um, we had, as we drove up the Dalton, we had watched some different bulls, and and I got to watch my buddy try and put some stocks on with his bow. Um, and you know, they're just as skittish as anything, but they're in this constant state of moving, right? They're constantly migrating. They just never stop. Um, but even when they do stop, they'll sit there and they'll eat for a second. But all of a sudden, the mosquitoes will piss them off, and they'll just take off running. And so all of a sudden, you're like, where'd they go? <laughs> But it's funny because if you watch them, you know, like they'll just take off. They'll, you know, run miles away, but you can still see them because it's all flat land. Well, then they get to this point and they're like, wait, why am I running? And then all of a sudden they'll start working their way right back to where they were because they're like, I was eating there and that was good. So I'm going to go back over there. So they're this, cool. yeah, they're this amazing animal to watch. And they're just a beautiful, not like a deer, not like an elk. It's almost a velvety fur that time of year. And I'm sure it's different when they winter up, but with that, summer fur man it was just it was the soft velvety fur i wish i could have kept it but uh, trying to keep my, everything on a budget i didn't even bring the cape home i just you know i was resigned to just bringing the horns home and that's what i did so yeah so just the horns or did you bring the whole skull just the horns just, just the horns. horns just yeah that's cool yeah yeah i mean that you know i committed when i went up there i knew i could even going up there that i couldn't afford the taxidermy when i got home <laughs> um so it, the reality and I've never, mo- I've never mounted a deer to be honest. I've, I've done Euro mounts and, and right. that's all I've ever done. And it's not so much even that, but it's like, I could really spend that money on other things. And I mean, I know guys that it, every deer they kill every year, they get it mounted. And I've yeah. got a buddy that's got like 26 mounts. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, but 
if that's what they're into, that's fine. But right, you know, right, right, I mean, right. it, it's everybody's thing. But no, that's cool it's though that you still budget, got the you know, experience. Budget, I mean, you've got pictures, you've got the memories, which I'm yeah. sure are just etched into your mind forever. I mean, it's got to well, be like amazing. Say, but at my age, you know, <laughs> every day I lose a little more. No, there are... I do. It's a great experience, and I I kept an okay journal while I was up there. Um, so I've actually started trying to put all that together and kind of write a story about it. Um, even if I never do anything about it, just so that somebody can read it to me in the nursing home one day. I'll post um, it. I'll post it on the website. <laughs> I will. I will. Appreciate I'm looking for content. I'll put it on the blog for sure. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I know that the guy that, uh, the gentleman that took me up there, that he's looking to do the same and he keeps pushing me to write it, but I'm just, I'm lazy and busy with family. So I never get to it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was a great experience and I can tell you that I went from door to door Alaska and back the full caribou adventure 1500 bucks. That's pretty you know, awesome. I think it's not bad. I think it's amazing. Um, you know, it was a great DIY experience which for me I would enjoy more than going with a fully guided Oh yeah, no, no, I get um, it. <laughs> which don't get me wrong, I, I do, I, I do need the whole Alaskan like bush plane or float plane experience. I do need that, but this definitely scratched an itch on a budget, and I got a good bull. You know, I'd love to get it mounted, but the reality is. I thought I was just going to shoot a dink. I didn't know what I was in for. You <laughs> and you never do till you get there, right? And it's that moment. A couple but, yeah. guys I've never even actually shaken hands with, you know. But I've taken a lot of a couple of opportunities like this now through social media to, to kind of step out, meet people, and go on adventures that I probably wouldn't normally do. And I think that's almost the about the only redeeming value that's left to social media, <laughs> right? There's, I tell you what, there, there, there definitely is. There's, there's a lot of negatives, a lot of hate. I see it more on Facebook than Instagram, and I think it's just because a picture speaks more volumes than actual words that people put on the page, and most people look at that. So it's not as much. I, I'd say there's not as much hate or, or animosity towards somebody, or just you know negative you know comments, and and just there, there's definitely a lot of toxicity. And I don't spend a whole lot of time on on Facebook, but. Um, I think Instagram, the pictures kind of speak more volumes than the actual words that the people write on it. So it's easier for people. I think that's always been the difference between the two platforms, more yeah. or Instagram, more geared towards just showing your picture and sharing your story in pictures. Yes, you can add some commentary to it, but where Facebook is really kind of the, hey, here's my picture, but look what I got to say about it too. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'll agree with you on that, but I've definitely, I've met some cool people. I've met guys like you and, uh, we finally actually get to sit down and talk. So that's, uh, you know, pretty cool. I always said if I ever got to go out to Utah and go to the, the Western, uh, expo, but I, obviously that's not happening this year yeah, once, not this once year. again. Yeah. So that sucks. But, uh, I told you I'd buy you dinner if we were out there, but, <laughs> but <laughs> And I was really looking forward to that Arby sandwich too. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I, and I love going to Hunt Expo just for that. You know, uh, you meet a lot of cool people. You do a lot of networking. Um, you see a lot of really cool things that either you can or can't afford, you know, a lot <laughs> right. of 
a lot of hunting adventures um, that you can live vicariously through. But it really is. It's 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 a good time up there. It's it's a good platform. Um, it's a ton of fun. And I know that there's obviously various other shows throughout the throughout the country held throughout the year but that's the one i was looking forward to though yeah for whatever reason that western hunt expo in salt lake city really seems to draw a good crowd um and it's a ton of fun yeah so there's one more thing i want to ask you about um Mm -hmm. well actually what what's the actual cost of a tag then for a caribou tag i mean does that change or is it pretty much the same for a non-resident throughout uh all the different regions or wherever you buy it for the state. I'm not even sure yeah, how that works. I think it's the same. I know that they have a kind of a, a draw system as well as an over the counter. And so I went on an over the counter adventure and I think the tag, uh, I'm going to be close, but not, maybe not accurate. I think the tag was 600 and the license was 250 or it's the tag was 650 and the license was 200. Okay. So, so that obviously was my, was the bulk of my cost and you kind of expect that being a non-resident hunter but right. as a caribou you know there are certain big game species in alaska where you're required to hire a guide caribou is not one of them um so you know it, i won't say that it's a poor man's alaska adventure but it's a really good way if you need to scratch that alaska itch to yeah. go do it on a on a crazy cool animal um and it's something that logistically wise yeah you could you could do it yourself we uh, uh we saw plenty of guys um in u-haul trucks rented out of fairbanks driving up and down the road looking for caribou so <laughs> i assumed those were out of staters who flew yeah. in fairbanks grabbed a u-haul because i guess the law is you can't or i guess the rule is you can't take a rental car up the dalton highway so they just picked up U-Hauls and <laughs> driving U-Haul box trucks. I've, I've seen it where they have uh, rental trucks. I've because I've looked into it a little bit, and there's there's places that will rent you a four by four truck, sure, to to go out there and do that, or a four by four van or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's pretty cool. How yeah. so? How, I gotta. How did you get the meat home? I mean, what was the logistics for that? Do you just pay the extra airfare and you bring a cooler with you and your gear was in it, or how? Nope. Kind of explain so, that. So what I did and the way these guys had their hunt planned out was we hunted for, we were going to hunt for three days, come hell or high water. And then that left us a day to process, a day to freeze. And then I flew. So that's exactly what we did. We got in on Friday, on Saturday, we spent the whole day processing the caribou. Um, We ran to Walmart and bought two ice chests. We put the caribou in the freezer and let it start freezing and getting hard we threw it in the ice chest bagged it up and you flew it home as extra baggage so two ice chests and a box with the antlers in it is what i had to fly home so my baggage fees were an extra 200 bucks that's not because of that it's not awful and to be honest i i thought everything had to be under 50 pounds but the gate agent actually said no once you once you buy the extra bag you can go up to a hundred. So I really could have got away with one cooler, but not knowing then what I know now, two coolers home, a hundred pounds of meat and my antlers. That's not bad. You know, I think a lot of guys go up there too, understanding that you have to strip the velvet off. Um, and so you come home with this bloody red pair of antlers. I didn't have to do that. I used, um, I used that product, uh, Velvalock. 
mm-hmm. I actually brought a couple of bottles with me. Um, and as soon as we got the antlers back to the truck, I sprayed them down with the velvet lock to get that velvet to start drying. And then we just wrapped it with some pool noodles and some um, packing foam, shrink wrapped them, put them in a box and flew them home. That's pretty cool. So yeah, it just worked. <laughs> did you have to inject anything on the inside or just spray it on the outside? No, you just spray that on the outside um, and let it dry. And it, it, it did an amazing job. Velvet so, held nicely. So what'd you have to do when you got home as far as care uh, on them? Anything or like hair dry them to dry it yep. further? Or? Yeah, I, t- I took a mild dish detergent to it. And I know I don't know that this is, would be recommended by <laughs> uh, by the company, but it had an odor to it. Uh, like a formaldehyde and, odor? <laughs> no, no, kind of like a more like a dried blood odor okay. as well as it kind of an oily film to it. Um, and of course it pulls all that blood out to the out to the velvet so your hands would get dirty anytime you touched it so i cleaned it off with a really mild dish detergent and then i'm a geek and i live in a house full of girls so i took my wife's blow dryer and my beard brush and kind of blew dry the velvet <laughs> and kind of fluffed it up you know <laughs> but it worked it worked good it looks great um so yeah so what are your plans with them then you're gonna put them on like a like what do you like a wall mount or something or what what are you gonna do with them? Yeah, I think that's just the old well, yeah, just a just a just a skull plate base yeah. plate right there. I think is all I'm gonna do with them. Unfortunately, they're they're the kind of in order to fly them home. I don't know how to explain this over the air. Um, we cut the skull cap off like you would if you were gonna mount it, but then we we cut that in half so that you could take the antlers and kind of juxtapose them Mm -hmm. inside of each other to condense the size rather than having a 30 inch spread, you know, you can put them, set them inside each other and keep it smaller. Um, so we did that. So I've got the skull plate in two places. And so right now I've just got it screwed onto a board and I'm still trying to figure out what my artistic design is going to be. But, um, yeah, I'll do something. I think the wife will let me hang it in the house if I'm lucky. I don't know how many pairs of shoes I'm going to have to buy in order to facilitate that, but whatever it takes. <laughs> so let me ask you this before you mount it, have you, or are you going to probably take a nap and hold on to them as you take that nap oh, <laughs> and hopefully man. dream of the whole experience there's, all over? <laughs> there's really not a time I don't walk into the garage that I don't look at them and, and just, and relive it. It really was a special um, opportunity for me. Uh, like, like we talked about budget before Alaska was something I just, I never, I always dreamed it would happen, but honestly never even took it one step towards making it happen until yep. all of a sudden it was like, dude, you can totally do this. Just do it. So uh, taking that opportunity and at this time in my life, it was just, it was, it meant everything to me. And it, and it, I think we know as sportsmen, what spending time in the field does for our mental health, right? Kind of refills that tank and, and, and gives us that hopefully enough juice to get us through the long winter and, and up until next hunting season, it kind of buys us that mental health. And that's absolutely what this trip did. Um, for me, you know, you just, as I struggled before, I can't put it all in words. It was all so dynamic and also big and, Alaska was everything I dreamed it would be. It was this opportunity to get completely into wilderness. You know, living out west, things are big. There's wide open spaces, yeah. But I can hike to a 
any road in a day, you know, I'm going to end up somewhere. I'll be all right. I did not have that feeling in Alaska. I truly <laughs> felt like, man, if I kept walking in this direction, I'm probably never going to get found. And so that, <laughs> that thing that you want to feel about Alaska, that smallness, that, that insignificant speck in this big world, I was able to feel finally in my heart and in my soul. And so, yeah, man, it was so good. And if somebody's listening to this and thinking, man, 1500 bucks, I can make it happen. It might not be that much for you, but it's not going to be that much more. Yeah. So if you can swing it within your means, man, do it. And if, and if you've got, if you need gear advice or recommendations, give me a call. Be glad to talk to you about it um, and offer what I know. Obviously, it's just one trip experience, but it's something. So let's talk about that then real quick. Uh, just kind of what are some of the things that you would definitely do different as far as gear? And um, what were some serious mistakes or something that you learned as far as performance or gear didn't didn't do what you needed it to do? Yeah, I had... Um, okay. Obviously going up there and being so remote, your gear cannot fail. It has to perform as advertised. There's just, there's no, there's just no room for crappy engineering. It's, it's got to do what the box says it'll do. Um, so I really worried about that, but I also surrounded myself with good gear. Um, the only, the only thing I do differently is I happen to own a really big spotting scope you know it's a big swarovski spotting scope yeah i know um, i'm very familiar with that spotting scope it's a very nice one <laughs> yeah it is uh, but it was really overkill and all and <laughs> i was in great shape i wasn't in good enough shape and pounds and ounces started to matter um so my spotting scope was and and tripod combination was too big um and to be honest especially hunting up there in the tundra you can see so far, um, a good pair of binos would do you and, a, and, a, and probably a lesser spot or lesser tripod. I like to glass off of a tripod tripod just for stability reasons. What but, would you, uh, what would you do then? Like 12 by 50 or are you talking like 15 mm -hmm. by something for binos? No, I think 12s would be fine. Um, I, I think you're going to know or not know, um, through 12s at, you know, at a mile or two, whether it's worth the walk or not. Um, and I know that was my case. You know, we were able to tell, you know, we could tell by the palms that it was a, it was a, it, a, it was a bull because yeah. the young bulls and the females both have antlers. So it can really screw you up. Um, you spend a lot of time looking at caribou genitalia, trying to decide what you're looking at, <laughs> but you can tell from a distance whether it's worth a walk or not. So yeah, I would do that. Or even just, you know, a smaller, a smaller spotter would do. Yeah. Um, I know that things are probably different in sheep country. Um, or maybe even <clears throat> on a moose hunt where you've, you know, where it's just a, a different hunt. There's a lot more trees involved and things like that. But so for caribou, gosh, you can um, see them miles off. Would you, is the tag for like a bull only or is it like an either sex tag to where you can take, I don't even know what you call it as a cow or what is it for? A... Yeah, I think it is a cow for a caribou. Yeah. I don't think it's doe. I think it's definitely a cow for caribou and, and people in Alaska right now are cringing and calling me an idiot. That's fine. <laughs> um, I think it is a cow caribou, but for non-residents, it's a bull only. Obviously okay. that depends on the hunt unit, but for what I looked at, it seemed like most non-residents, you are allowed one bull. Okay. 
Um, so one more thing I got to ask you, and that's, I think I saw at one point back in the day, you used to be a lawman and yeah. you, d- you left this out in the introduction, but there's something kind of unique. Maybe a lot of people don't know about you, but you were actually security detail for, oh. <laughs> <laughs> for Katie Couric. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, and man, I don't know how long it's been since I've quote unquote bragged about that. But yeah, um, I, I was I was in law enforcement, and gosh, what was it? Two thousand five, two thousand six, when Hurricane Katrina hit down south. Yeah, um, a buddy of mine who was also a law enforcement officer happened to have some connections um, in the security world, and so my lieutenant and I jumped on a opportunity to go down there and do security for NBC news. And we didn't know what we were getting into. Gosh, what a, what a soup sandwich the whole trip was. Um, but yeah, I ended up getting to spend some time being Katie Couric's security detail, you know, and, <laughs> and, and being just off camera the whole time she's filming the today show. And, and the, gosh, half, half your listeners are probably scratching their heads going, who is Katie Couric? But <laughs> No. So that was a cool experience. But yeah, it was weird. Like, um, a people from New Hampshire being in the South wasn't a good mix anyway, because apparently the civil war is still going on. (laughs) But yeah, we flew into, um, where in Florida, where in Florida, somewhere over on the East of Florida. I can't remember. Um, I'm sorry, in the Western panhandle of Florida. Um, and we went to get the rental car and the guy's like, yeah, I got a car for you. It's got an eighth of a tank of gas and there's no gas stations around that have any gas, but here you go. Yeah. You know? So we were like, uh, crap. So we took it and we found the only gas station on Martin Luther King Boulevard selling gas. Um, and actually we were met at the pumps by a, a very giant gentleman with a sawed off double barrel shotgun <laughs> controlling the pumps. Um, so anyways, we bought his gas and we drove on into, to Biloxi, Mississippi. Um, and they, we actually followed the national guard as their, or the army uh, Corps of engineers, I guess it was rather as they were plowing the roads to get into Biloxi, Mississippi. Um, and, and man, it was just, it was destroyed. It was a lot of destruction. It was a very humbling experience. Um, but really met met some amazing people. had a had a good experience doing security for NBC and 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 meeting Katie Kirk, great lady. Um, I'll tell you, we had one opportunity where we were we were kind of established, you know, just kind of standing around one day, and this uh, poor little lady comes pushing past us with a with a little metal wheeled cart. And she's just muttering to herself, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I go out and I talk to her and I'm like, can we help you with something? And she's like, and she opens this bag in her metal cart and it's just full of cash. <laughs> okay. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. She goes, I keep all my money in a mattress. And she said, this hurricane, hurricane's come through. It's destroyed my house. So I want to put this money in the bank but the bank's gone too. I don't know what to do. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really humbling. It, it was incredibly sweet, you know, uh, to find somebody that keeps money in their mattress, you know? Um, but then, yeah, she really was. She just, 
she had nowhere to go, so I had to call the police for her and so that they could help get her some provisions and get her taken care of. But I, I, I had never experienced that level of destruction um, or that level of having people's lives uprooted and, and destroyed. So it was really humbling for me. It was a really good opportunity. I was glad I took it um, aside from getting to do cool stuff. But your wife yeah. ever get jealous when you uh, go and have a cup of coffee and meet up with Katie? No, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no that uh, we didn't exchange phone numbers. That's for sure. But nonetheless, yeah. No, that's pretty cool. I just wanted to throw that out there. I know you always you always screw <laughs> around. If people part. if people don't know you, and and uh, they start finding you on social or something like that, they're going to realize. You you mess with a lot of people messing around, you know, fun all fun and yeah. games. But so, <laughs> so I thought I'd just throw that in there. Target on back. That's for sure. Including it's fine. Yeah, uh, look at my profile now. Uh, and again, I'm I turned tomorrow's my birthday. I turned forty four. Yeah, I've done a lot of random stuff in my life. I've had some good opportunities. I've I've taken some chances. I've I've kind of lived and experienced. It's it's been a fun ride. But I'm but I'm definitely. Uh, I'm as average Joe as they come, especially in the hunting community. I know I talk about going to Alaska and, and, and things like that, but you know, it's just, aside from that, I don't do a ton of out of state hunting. You know, I can't afford that stuff. So I just, I make the most of it, but it really is. It's, it's my saving grace, you know, in terms of mental health and, and things that I'm passionate about. No, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same for me. I mean, I don't drink, I don't, you know, I, or anymore, I should say. And, and there's a lot of things I don't do and, and I don't really have a whole lot of outlets. And I, I truly believe that nature has become that outlet, that reset, that mental uh, just cleansing, that, that therapy that so many of us probably desperately need and have probably turned to other things um, in order right. to get that same, same experience. And uh I, I think it's amazing what it can do for people. So I, I totally get that. And hopefully, yeah. hopefully everybody else does too. Um, Keith, before we go though, tell people one more time where they can find you, follow you and be your friend, just like I became. <laughs> Gosh, you know, and I feel bad. Uh, I keep thinking about the number of subscribers you're going to lose after this. And I really well, apologize. I think it's <laughs> mostly because of the gym selfies. I, I got to say that you probably put more gym selfies up than Josh Bomar does, but I know. And that's the, in, that's in defense though, that's because Josh has, <laughs> has a photographer and, and isn't taking selfies. So, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I like to post those to make people, other men feel good about themselves and where they're at in life. Um, oh, I thought it was just not shame, sure me. <laughs> shame me. Shame <laughs> me. You know, and that's kind of my saving grace. Every time I go to the gym, I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm not the biggest. I can't lift as much as that guy. Look at that girl's bench pressing more than I am. That's fabulous. You know, I'm like, what am I doing here? But the reality is I still get my butt up and I go. So I hang my hat on that, that I've made it a routine. I'm doing something. Absolutely. You know, and it's a good something. It's a I good think, something. It's... I think you've uh, actually made some gains and uh, and some you know, physical strides forward in, in the time that I've seen your, your first gym selfies to now. So there's something to be proud of there. And on top of it, not only that, I think 
you doing that also gets other people to hold you kind of it seems like you got a group that holds each other accountable so that's kind of good yeah yeah and i've gotten some feedback like that too like hey you know what good for you um, and i think you know and that helps me and i hope it helps them because um, reality is it, it really is important and i think we see that obviously this year you know how much nutrition and, and a strong immune system um, and just a healthy body <sighs> are paying the most dividends right I'm not going to lie. So. <laughs> I probably gained the COVID-15. I'm one of those people right now. Yeah, well, but <laughs> uh, Me too. You know, I'm post, I'm post hunting and I'm going into hibernation mode now. So yeah, yeah. it's just time to pack on the weight at this point. <laughs> but uh, like I said, um, so Spike Bowl Outdoors, right? Yep, and on, uh, on Instagram. It used to be the outlaw Keith James, but that's no longer yeah. existent. So <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm not outlaw. I'm not outlaw like. I don't know why I, I started out with that. That was goofy. <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then that spike bull fits me so well. It was also goofy, right? I mean, who, who prides themselves on shooting baby elk? I think I it's do. pretty cool. At least I get to get out and hunt elk. You know. I don't judge. I don't judge. <laughs> I haven't even killed an elk. So, would it be? Here's my question: How many people do you see come from out of state, like far? I'm talking Illinois to uh, come and kill a spike bull. Probably not too many, huh? Not too many, but you know what? <laughs> you want to go walk in the woods with me? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I might have to take you up on that for sure. <laughs> Gladly. All right, man. Gladly. But it's been good. Uh, good talking to you, and I hope you have a good night. Thanks for your time. Yep, you too. Have a good one. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.